My journey has been one of returning from the darkness and stepping out into the light once more. I'm Chance Lunsford. I'm also Logos and Trivial. While you're sitting trying to figure that out, this is my podcast. Allegedly. Logos and Trivial podcast. I'm Chance Lunsford. I'm also Logos and Trivial. Maybe you're also Logos and Trivial. While you're trying to figure out what that means and how to pronounce it, <laughs> let me introduce today's special guest. It's the second time you've been on. It's the man, the myth, the doctorate. <laughs> Dr. Ed Perrin. Welcome back, my friend. Hey, happy to be here. Um, yeah, what do you want to know? Well, I put out a call on Twitter a while back, said, hey, I'm thinking about bringing on some of the people I've had on before to just there's a thing that Joe Rogan does where he brings on his buddies and they have that mm-hmm. relationship. They have both they have both their long-term relationship, but then they have that on-air relationship because each person kind of knows and acknowledges that there's this record of their conversation that's out there in the world. And I like those conversations. It's interesting to me because you kind of see the the arc of their lives and the arc of their friendships and you get to come in at these points and just kind of see what's going on with them and Mm -hmm. i thought well i like that i want to do that and you said hey man i want to come back on we talked about you know i had you on for the war series and we were kind of very focused on the psychology of soldiers and war fighters and and how um sort of being in those environments affects them but Mm -hmm. there's a lot more to you and what you do than that and so I thought it would be a good idea to bring you back on and just kind of explore some of the things that you wanted to uh, add into the Logos and Trifiverse. <laughs> so why don't you, uh, why don't you, if they're unfamiliar, yeah, well, it's, I, it's a gift. <laughs> why don't you fill them in a little bit uh, if they're unfamiliar with you, who you are, what you do, what you're about? Uh, so uh, I'm uh, Dr. Ed Perrin. Uh, I'm uh, I'm a therapist out in uh, Reno, Nevada. Uh, I work with veterans. Um, and I guess uh, what we were doing, what we were talking about last time, uh, I think was also uh, what, what, what I feel like we, I wanted to say more of or what I wanted to talk about more was about um, our conversation on trauma and how trauma can uh, kind of radically change things. And that's really where, that's really where my interest lies. That's where my, uh, even where my research was in, it's it's in uh, trauma, but I define it a lot uh, more broadly than you know. We 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 think of you know trauma as these single sort of life altering events, and we have these objective measures like wartime, exactly like combat, right? That could be extremely traumatic, but trauma very broadly, like you have traumas in your life. I have traumas in my life. Some of them can be objectively like, oh my gosh, that's horrific. For others, it could be um, uh, the childhood trauma of having to move or, you know, uh, a, a parent a parent being ill when the, the, when the child is too young to really fully understand what's going on, that these can really like be impactful, transformative events in our life. Hmm. And um, if they can influence us in such tragic ways we can also they can also influence us in such terrific amazing powerful transformative ways and uh that's that's my passion that's what 
that's what brings me joy. That's what, that's what lights my soul. And sort of that's, that's me. That's, that's where I am. I love, I love seeing what it takes to change people um, and help them on their journeys as they're, as they're going through it themselves um, in a nutshell. Listeners of this podcast will be quite familiar with the fact that uh, that what you just described is a large part of what I um, what I try to communicate to the world. Uh, the idea that there are these processes that happen within you, within your mind, within your body, and sometimes it takes a traumatic event or a traumatic um, environment or a series of things to wake you up to the fact that there is this thing inside of you that can radically alter your condition. But just because you were alerted to the presence of this thing inside of you through an event that uh, might be viewed as sort of a negative or destructive force or might just uh, objectively, at least in that moment, certainly be a destructive or negative force. it doesn't mean that that's the only time that that tool that's within you can be used to do something. And, and when you become aware that these things uh, are inside of you and you learn how they work and, and what activates them or triggers them and you do it with intention, suddenly you have access to this world of um, tools that can allow you to shape who you are or how you interact or uh, you know, these kind of things that, that uh, you might not normally be aware of or think that you can access, but there are, there are sort of like ways you can get inside of there and, and, and trigger them to, to be of benefit to you rather than, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to be destructive to you. And I just want to say, because I know it's going to be something that you're going to bring up or that you're thinking about, it's like, okay, the trauma in the moment is what it is doesn't have to stay what it was in the moment it can become something else uh, and there's there's like a there's like a system where there's a process to sort of move you from this really sucks and it really hurts into okay this is something else now that I can work with and and I think that's probably something that I would like to give you a chance to maybe get into here oh certainly oh man I loved everything that you just said uh, the, the two elements that you, uh, mentioned, you know, the first, which is, you know, insight, you need to, you need to, you know, know what's going on, but the other one, and I, I like the words you used, it was, uh, it was the deliberate, deliberate action or the deliberate pursuit of it. Cause you, you, you gotta have, you gotta have both for, um, for, for successful change. And uh, you, you see this, uh, you see this even in, in the field of psychology that they more, these very insight-focused psychotherapies uh, that don't really care what you do with it. It's just, hey, you know, this, this is what you do, or this, this is this is who you are. These are the mechanisms that go on with your brain. And sometimes that that's enough. Sometimes that's that. Um, I think this is this is kind of a black sheep opinion. Uh, Sometimes we realize some things just aren't really that important to us, like how we 
uh, maybe maybe physical fitness in this moment isn't the most important thing right now. Maybe there are other goals or other priorities. Uh, I advocate for health. Don't get me wrong, but uh, some people can be coming in and saying, "I'm I'm always trying to work out and nothing ever sticks. I'm always trying to eat better, nothing ever sticks. I keep messing up. I keep messing up." Maybe the reason is because you don't wanna, and that that's just not important to you. And give them an opportunity to maybe go. You're right. I'm choosing not to do this, and and there's relief, and there's there's there there's there can sometimes be really a lot of power in in, in that insight. But uh, the other element of it is if it's something that you're not doing very well. Maybe it's health related. Uh, maybe it's somebody who is. Uh, I'll I'll use diabetes as an example. Maybe it's you know I'm I'm trying to eat better, but I'm just not, and you know now now you could die. So there has to then be that other deliberate component. It's like, well, this is what I'm. This is what I'm. Uh, what I do, and I'm now going to pursue the healthy choice. Um, otherwise, you get the informed ill, right? The alcoholic who's cracking into another beer, knowing, oh, that's why I drink because my dad was also an alcoholic. It's generational. Now it makes sense. What are they still doing? They're still drinking. And I think that's always the enigma: is getting them, getting getting across that gap of. I know it and I'm just okay with it versus I know it and I want to change it. And I want to, and, I, and even though it's hard or even though I don't want to change, or even though there are a lot of things that I don't want to change. Cause I could give them all the reasons I can give, I can give somebody all the reasons in the world to stop smoking, but I'm not going to follow them around and flick it out of their mouth. It's up to them to go, you know what? You're right, doc. You know, that is unhealthy. Maybe I should stop. Um, but it, my opinion doesn't matter. It, it means nothing. I could follow them around and flick it out. They're going to try to find ways to smoke anyway. And that's, that's the enigma, right? Motivation for change. Hmm. <laughs> if I look back at my life in the context of that sort of line of thinking, which I do, and which I have quite a bit. Uh, it always just it always just makes me laugh. There are things in my life right now that I do that I know I should not. But of the things that I once did, that I was deeply sort of ashamed of, or that I knew were causing radical harm to my body or my person, I don't do any of them anymore. Um, but it, it wasn't like that just happened and it wasn't like I just let them all go all at once. And I think I'll bring this uh, down to earth a little bit. I was about to go out into the broad web, but I have been finding more and more that maybe I need to try to help people relate to what I'm saying a little better. And so I was having a conversation with my oldest daughter last night. Mm -hmm. She's 10. She's a really intelligent and sweet girl and very talented. But there are, I would say, four or five things in her life, habits or, or patterns of behavior that are not good for her. And there are things that have been around for a while. Um, and I've tried a lot of different things with her and uh, 
My dad told me once, you know, I knew by the time you were five years old that I couldn't teach you a fucking thing. <laughs> and I never forgot that he said that to me. Mm-hmm. And when I started having kids, I, 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 there was just a part of me that knew that that was true about me and that knew that that was pretty true about most people. There's At least there's parts of you that you're just going to do what you're going to do. There's parts of you that maybe not, but there's there's certain things. It's like a person's just going to do what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And my 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 kids are pretty all st- strong-willed. And, and so my oldest daughter, you know, last night she was doing a couple things that I couldn't allow to continue. She, she was just being a little bit like a... I'm debating how much detail to give. I'll just be I'll just be very broad here, but she was just sort of not treating her little sisters the way that I expect her to do and and the way that she normally does because she's a very loving person. But I pulled her aside and I just had a conversation with her and I said, Look, buddy And I had to think for a while. I was I kept looking at her and I, I was trying to formulate how I was going to do this because I've had one version or another of this conversation many times, but I, I finally just said, look, I, we've had this conversation a bunch of times and these are the things that I'm most concerned about because these are things that in your life, if you don't do them or you do do them, it's going to determine your success or your satisfaction with your life or your opportunities essentially across the board. And I can tell you what to do, but I don't want to do that because I want you to choose your life. I want you to have the freedom to choose to be who you are. And I've, I've told you this before and I tell your little sisters this. It's my job as a parent to, to try my best to steer you right, but I can't make you do it. I can sort of... It's different if they're three or four. You kind of can make them do it in a certain way. It's mm-hmm. like, no, nah, you're just going to do this because I don't expect a lot from you. You're just going to do oh, the, yeah. like one thing, but you know, you're 10 now and you're smart and you understand people. It's not the same as it was. You're still before. bigger. There are things that you can do to make them do it, but I imagine that's not the kind of parent you want to be. No, and it's not the kind of... It's not the kind of habits or, or the perspective I want to instill in my kids that they need to have somebody to tell them what to do all the time to do the right mm-hmm. thing. It's just, that's not. And, it, I, and I said, look. It, just, to, just to make sure that I'm, 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 I'm tracking so far is that this, this one of the issues that you're struggling with as a parent is not, you know, hey, do the right thing because you can, you can do that. You can come in and make them do the right thing. What you want to do is you want to foster that internal, that intrinsic uh, choice to do the right thing because it's the right thing. And that is, I think is exactly kind of on point to what I'm talking about, which is that mechanism that uh, the, the word is motivation salience that is like, I, I, I want to do that. There's, there's a reason to do this. And as a parent, that role of, I want it to be, because it's the right thing. It's the moral thing or it's the family, the family code or how we expect family members to treat other family members. Um, but you, you're trying to teach that nebulous in like invisible component of like, I don't want you to do it. I want you to want to do it. Yeah. Or even just, I want you to do it 
because it's the right thing and you can align your wants with it later. I don't even care if you want to do it, just do it. And, and the thing is, I explained to her in very honest terms, this was kind of a conversation I've been putting off having with her because on the one hand, I didn't feel like she was ready for it. And on the other hand, I didn't feel like I was ready for it. Mm-hmm. Because kids are sensitive. My daughter's extra sensitive. And sometimes you just have to say the truth to people. And you do it in a way where you make it clear that you're coming from a place of love, but it still it doesn't, you know, sometimes it just hurts to hear things. Mm-hmm. But I said, look, I, I'm, I'm telling you this because I love you and I want you to be able to be the person that you want to be. And I, and I know that you're not. And, and I, you know, I, I did a lot of this through questions. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying, but the point, let me me be a little more, yeah, let me be a little more concrete here. I just, I said, you're coming to a point in your life where these things are going to matter. It's because I'm your dad and I love you no matter what. I'll always love you. And I, and I take responsibility for my relationship with you because I brought you into the world and you're half me, you're half the person I love most in the world. And that will never go away and I will always love you and I'll always be there for you. But that's not true for the world. That's not true for other people. That's not true for everybody's parents even, but that's just my personal code. Mm-hmm. That's how I live because I, I had one parent like that and I had one person not like that. And I definitely know who um, brought the blessings of life to me in a, in a far more visceral and concrete way. And, and yeah. that was my commitment when I started my family. So I, it's just like, look, kid, you're going to go out into the world and, and grade school is one thing, but middle school, junior high, high school, the adult world, it's very different from that in a lot of ways. And they're not going to let you, they're going to try to hurt you because of some of these things that you're doing, some of these ways that you're acting. Mm -hmm. And because you're such a sensitive person, it is going to hurt you. And that, that can lead to a whole bunch of things. And I was honest about the things that it lead to. And I've always tried to be honest with my kids as much as I feel like they're capable of it. Because I have a pretty yeah. checkered past, you know. So it's like, look. That's, I'm that grateful for it now. Do. Because it's like, it's look, man, I've been in jail and I've done drugs and I've been arrested. I've, you know, I've, and I've done, it's, I've done all the stuff. Uh-huh. Okay. You don't want but. her to experience <laughs> the hurts that you have. You want her to learn the lessons without the pain. Exactly. But there was something interesting that happened in this conversation. Normally, this oldest daughter will have sort of an emotional tolerance, and then when you cross that, it spills over, and it's and it's you know, and that's not that's not abnormal. But she just, it's very night and day with her. Yeah. And I knew we were kind of coming to that line a couple times. But I knew I had to say what I had to say. I felt it with my soul. I just mm-hmm. had it was I was like being a channel for a message that she needed to hear. But she she kind of sat there and took it. And she didn't make an attitude face. She didn't uh, you know, sort of do the zombie eyes where she, 
it's like, okay, this kid's not listening. She just kind of listened to what I was having to say. And I would ask questions and she wasn't obstinate. She would respond and things. And, and, and here's, here's what I'm trying to get to with all this sort of rambling, obscure conversation. I, I told her at the end of the conversation, look, you're in your room. You're not in timeout or anything. You're not in trouble. But what I want you to do, and you do what you want to do here, but what I would suggest you do is you sit here and you think about the things that I've talked to you about. And you think about who are you right now and who do you want to be and what is in between those two things and what do you have to do to go from here to there and what is going to be the outcome or what's going to happen if you don't do anything about these things we've talked about. And I also want you to know that I love you very much and I'll always be here for you, but I, I have a great hope for you that you will choose to do the things that will make your life awesome. And I told her, I believe in you because you're worth believing in. And I gave her a hug and I walked out and I went and sat in the front room with my other two daughters and they were doing their thing and I was doing a little bit of work. And she came back out and she just sort of, it was maybe 20 minutes later and I could tell she'd really been thinking. And she sat down on the couch and she was cool, you know, but just kind of withdrawn. And then maybe 20 minutes after she sat down on the couch, she said, Daddy? I said, yeah. She said, thanks for having that talk with me. And I said, you're welcome. And she said, thank you for telling me the truth. And I said, you're welcome. And then she said, I love you, Daddy. And I said, I love you too, buddy. And I guess the reason that I'm sharing this is because there are these opportunities in our lives where, for whatever reason, A person in our lives, and it could be family or friend, or sometimes it's even a stranger in a weird circumstance, but there's this sort of a tenor or tone or this opportunity presents itself and you and you understand it. It's it's crystal clear to you. This is an opportunity for me to make a difference. And the things just kind of come to you that you, you just are pretty confident this is what I need to be doing and saying right here for this person. And I've had a number of those instances in my life. And I've had, I've had a number of the opposite instances where you have one of those moments and you don't heed it and, and things, things turn out the opposite of how it might have turned out. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm saying this to you because we're talking about transformation. And today I came home from work. And as I was on my way home, my daughter called me to see when I was coming home and I'll be there in a little bit. I'm actually just a couple minutes away. When I got home, she was cleaning. She said, I'm cleaning the whole house. I want to take the load off mommy. We're going on vacation soon. And, and uh, she was cleaning the bathroom and cleaning dishes and picking up after her sisters. And, you know, she just decided this is something that I want to do today. And that may or may not last. It's just kind of how it goes. You, you never know if that's going to be the one thing. But 
It's just one of those things that now in her mind, she understands my dad had this talk with me and he told me some true things that were hard to deal with, but he told me he loved me. And then I chose to do something different because of the way that made me feel. And I guess within the context of whatever you want to pick up on that, I guess I just wonder what is, what is sort of your take on those moments of, of great import and, and is there a way maybe to, rather than let them come to you to maybe influence yourself or the people around your environment to create opportunities for those moments to happen? Well, that's a, that ended on a billion dollar question right there. Um, I, you know, you gave me a lot to think about while you were telling that story. What was coming to my mind was um, her receptivity to the message. And I I, want to answer this as generalizable as possible. So, you know, whether it's because we're getting feedback from our family or our friends or we're giving this feedback to ourselves that, you know, something needs to change, we have to be receptive to it, right? Because we've had that conversation with the person who's not receptive, a lesson they really need to learn, and they're being told the steps very concretely and clearly. You need to do step A, B, and C, and and this is these are the expectations, and you can see them. You know they're they're still they're not receptive. They're not going to do it, or they don't care. And. Uh, that 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 leap or that uh, maybe that lies in the in the realm of um willingness because your daughter didn't want to have that conversation it's not like that's like all right you can do anything with daddy today what do you want to do i want to be lectured on some of my faults and ways i can improve myself like these are not i didn't i didn't want to either and i told her that i was like look this is not a conversation i ever wanted to have with you i just it's important exactly (laughs) but but so there was something about that environment that you created that allowed her to be receptive to the message, whether or not she really understood it. She's 10. And I, I think that maybe, maybe some of these ideas that you're trying to instill on her are greater human struggles that we all face on a daily basis. Well into uh, adulthood. Let me, um, let me just, let me just interject there for one second. Because okay. <laughs> I was having a conversation with her a couple of days ago and it was, it was of a similar vein, but far less intense. And I was explaining things to her uh, with, with metaphors and mm-hmm. I was talking about leverage and there was a fork on the table. I was like, some people they're right here in this dip of the fork and they have no leverage. It's hard to move the fork. And some people are up on the hill and it's like, it's pretty easy to move this fork. And then I flicked the end of the fork and made it flip. I was like, when you figure out life, this is how it works for you. It flips for you instead of you flipping around it. And she was like, okay. Uh, uh-huh. And and my wife was like, can you like make this about something real? <laughs> you know? And, but we sent her in and my wife's like, what, you know, I said, look, it's not, I'm, I'm not just talking to her about this moment. I'm planting seeds because later she's going to go, oh, that's what dad is talking about. And I've had that happen a million times, but I just, I just kind of wanted to throw that in there because I think it's a useful tool for kids, like plant some seeds yeah. and then let them figure it out later. So anyway, mm-hmm. carry on. <laughs> No, I, I, I think I'm, 
I, I trust you handled it very appropriately and that you made a very good cause for, for that conversation. Um, I also think that parents, uh, parents also want to force a lot of how the adult brain works on how the child brain works. Mm. And some of that just won't. Uh, some, uh, I'd say, especially with moral development, uh, moral development's kind of tricky at 10. Um, just by how the just by how the brain works. Um, can you much can you better. talk about that a little bit? I'm, I'm um, curious to hear what you have to say about that. About moral development. Well, I have. Um, there's 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 a there's somebody who uh, has a much better model. Uh, Kohlberg's uh, model of moral development. Um, you know what? I'm not going to get too technical here. I, uh, I have a, I have a parable that I love. I, I call it the parable of the, um, the fishbowl, uh, that when at a certain, at a certain stage of brain development, morality only exists on a spectrum of, you know, con re reward or consequence. You're either going to, uh, you you do it because you get something from it or you do it because if you don't do it something bad will happen or you don't anyway it's it's essentially as basic that's why that's why i say all kids are psychopaths <laughs> exactly so my my favorite my favorite parable is uh i'll, I'll call him i'll call him tommy uh tommy has a little fish downstairs so you know in the morning he comes downstairs and sees the fish bowl and he goes you know, tap, 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 tap. And the mom's in the other room. The mom says, don't do that, honey. The fish doesn't like it. She's trying to teach empathy, right? That's that's probably <laughs> the first moral lesson that we learn is that other people have feelings too, even if you don't feel it, they do. Uh, so the next day, Tim, uh, Tommy, Tommy comes down, tap, tap, tap. Don't do that. The fish doesn't like it. Third day comes down, tap, 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 tap stop doing that the fish doesn't like it so the next day tommy comes down tap 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 mom's had enough she gets uh, a big bowl a big pot and a wooden spoon runs over puts the bowl that puts the pot over uh tommy's head and goes bang 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 right empathy well if you don't if you don't if you can't imagine what the fish feels you can and now you know explicitly what happens to the fish. Da, 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 da. That's what the lesson you think that, that little Tommy learned, right? So uh, next day, Tommy has a friend over. Friend goes, ooh, a fish. Tap, 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 tap. Tommy goes, stop. Don't do that or my mom will put a pot over your head and bang it with a spoon. <laughs> that's that's how that's how uh that's that's how the brain works at first it's not oh that's unpleasant i don't want to cause that unpleasantness to others which is what we want right and i think it's even like our parental responsibility like we don't want you to go around you know stabbing people because it's a, a crime we want you to not do that because it hurts people and that causes them pain and it causes it makes their family suffer like we want them to feel kind of that moral reasoning for it like i want you to take perspective taking i want you to know how the that makes the other person feel and you see kids their brains they they're just not really wired that way um not until 
not until about 12 ish. And then it, we can argue that people can get stuck in certain stages of, uh, of moral development. Uh, some people get stuck in rule rigidity. Um, nope, nope. That's again, that's a, that we can't do that. The rule. Um, that's why I like questions, even, even with kids and even recognizing that function, uh, that sort of, uh, reward or consequence thing inside of them. You know, I, for example, I've heard my kids say, um, don't do that or daddy will get mad. And then I'll say, okay, but that's true. If you do that, it's going to piss me off. It's just one of the things like, I don't, I don't like that or want that around me. Mm -hmm. But, but just because that's true, doesn't mean that's all of the story. And so, you know, I'll ask him, okay, that it's true. If you do that, I'm not going to be happy with you. But why do you think that is? You know, I just, I said, and they go, well, I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? Think about it. Why do you, why would, why would I talk about it? I understand. Yeah. Why would I not like that? Why, why would you doing that cause me to not like that? Why would you doing that cause me to um, be angry with you? Mm -hmm. Uh, well, because maybe it's rude. Yeah. Well, but why is it, you know, would, would you want that to happen to you? No. Okay. Well, why are we doing that to other people then? And, and, you know, it's, it's so weird because you can, you, no, sorry, finish your thought, but I'll, I, I, as much as an adult has developed maybe a complexity or, or, or more variables in that system, when you have these conversations with somebody whose systems are more simplistic or at least uh, less experienced, if you ask those questions and you're receptive and you're listening, you come to find out, well, it's not really actually all that different with me. I have, I have these group of experiences and I have these group of habits and I have this group of justifications and I have this group of sort of, um, you, you know, whatever the other factors are. But when it comes down to it, most of the decisions I'm making are, do I want to feel good or do I want to feel bad? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's kind of, not to cheapen the human experience or anything, but it's, that's a lot of it. And, and I, you know, so anyway, carry I, on. I, Sorry. I, think that's, <laughs> I think that's most of it. You're, you're, you're cutting on the original motivation salience, uh, fe uh fear and greed, uh, or, you know, it feels good, feels bad. Uh, I want this. I don't want this, or I want more of this. I want less of that. Like we, and a lot of this is kind of instantaneous, but what I what I think you're 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 really really getting into in terms of this idea of um, of of motivation, and I'm I'm glad that you're bringing your kids into this because I think that we have a lot more of like a playground, a lot more kind of like sand to move around using parenting as an example because we literally can control their lives. We can we we're bigger than them, right? we can physically force them to do everything that we want them to do. Mm -hmm. How is that relationship going to play out in the long run? They're going to hate your guts. They're going to come to me when they're older. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. It's going to be a mess. It's going to foster <laughs> resentment and, and, and frustration. So like it, we, as a parent, like we don't want to just have them toe the line. We want to inspire them. We, we want to be a good parent. Right. So we want, we want them to be inspired and motivated and, and doing really rad stuff. Um, and that's really hard when 
they don't want to do it. But that other point that you made is that that's actually not much different from us. Yeah. Because we see it with ourselves and we're, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to use diet and exercise as an example, because that's probably the one every single person at some point in time has said, wow, I should really exercise more. Oh, you know, I should really eat cleaner. I should really eat better. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. No, certainly, certainly nobody in this conversation, but this idea is that these aren't things that everybody can comfortably or do and and it and it, it it's something that takes discipline it's something that takes hard work it's something that takes motivation and when we're trying we we, we don't want and and, and sometimes we're going to try to motivate ourselves the way we'd probably try to be a bad parent uh like maybe over disciplining yourself or um you know punishing yourself oh i didn't go to the gym today so i'm going to I don't know, not, not eat dinner or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to watch any TV for a week or whatever it is that we're, we start, we start trying to motivate ourselves the way we'd motivate a kid. It doesn't work, right? Bad parenting. So, you know, how, if, if it's a matter of getting somebody else, getting somebody, you know, a small human developing brain to do some of these probably very complex things that are hard for anyone to stick to or do or make lifestyle changes you know how do we also apply that to ourselves how do we also uh make us you know clean our room and eat our vegetables when we don't want to right how do we treat other people how do when we're at when we're hitting our skill breakdown level like like your daughter at 10 at what a, what a perfect example of what happens to us when we hit our skills breakdown right we're we're at eight out of 10. We're not, we're maybe not right there, but we're no longer going, Oh, I, I'm going to use some coping skills right now. I'm going to, I'm going to do some breathing exercises and meditate and take that anger down a little bit. No, we're spilling over. I think you used the word spilling. We're spilling everywhere. Um, I, 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 for me, that's, that's the challenge because we have to approach it. We have to approach it the way we're approaching a 10 year old that, uh, approach transformation, approach our own motivation, the way we're approaching the motivation of a 10 year old ourselves. Like we have to, we have to give them time. We have to recognize that they're not going to get stuff right away. They're going to need to practice. They're going to make a couple more mistakes, even if it is something like treating her sister better. Um, to, to let her make mistakes and to be compassionate as you coach her through those mistakes, be better next time. And to see them as sort of this, this this kind of long ongoing growth process, but we don't we don't do that to ourselves, and sometimes we don't even do that with our kids. We're like, knock that off, do it do it differently. We want the, the quicker fix, but that that doesn't teach kids. It doesn't motivate us. Hmm. I see your gears turning. What's going through your mind? How's all this sitting with you? They're always turning, dude. It's a. It's <laughs> I have. My, my wife the other day, she, you know, she, she's like, it, it must be exhausting having all those thoughts go through your head. It's like, yeah, it is. Why do you think I pass out after dark if I'm not doing something active, like actively? I, could, I have multiple, multiple times been in a conversation. And have said something and then be very attentively listening 
but because I'm in a state of rest while I'm listening, I just literally pass out. I've, I've passed out standing up. There's, I have a very strong circadian wow. rhythm and I don't sleep a lot. And uh, <laughs> there, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, funny. It's, a, it's a funny phenomenon in my life. But I'll, I guess I'll, that's... I'll try not to take it too personally if you follow us. <laughs> but in answer to your, to your sort of probe there, the one, one of the thoughts that I was having as you were talking is this thought occurs to me all the time as I'm sort of interacting with both ends of the self-improvement sphere of Twitter, both the guys that are saying, here's the stuff you do. And then the people who are saying, well, what do I do? And mm -hmm. there's a certain understanding essentially in everybody who's an adult that it's like, look, there are, there are like five things, of course, you should do. And there are like five things, of course, you should not do. And why are we even having this conversation if you're not? But, but that's not the attitude to take. Because my 10-year-old mm -hmm. knows the five things she should do and the five things she shouldn't do. But that doesn't mean she's going to do it. That doesn't mean I'm going to do it. Like I said to you, it's like there's some, there, yeah. I, I do stuff that I know I shouldn't. And, I, and I'm conscious of the fact I shouldn't do it. And then it... I do it. I'm a grown ass man. If I don't want a bacon cheeseburger, I'm going to order a goddamn bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that we should disregard the reality that the answer to almost all the problems is very simple. It's like, well, are you taking care of your body? And mm -hmm. are you taking care of your mind? Are you doing any writing or having conversations with people and sort of opening up to some of these things within you? You know, did you have something shitty happen? Well, did you look into why that happened and how you contributed it? It's, it's, it's not, it's not sort of most of the problems in the world are not complex in the way that you can approach them to deal with them. And the same with the things you shouldn't do. It's like, well, did I physically assault anybody? Did I hurt somebody's feelings for no reason other than just malice or some sort of sadistic impulse to that you know it's there's not that many things that can railroad your life and there's not that many things that you need to do to have a really awesome one and and there are sort of extreme examples of people going down certain roads that are examples of like if you take david goggins for example mm -hmm. i would never trade lives with that dude i wouldn't trade lives with anybody but i wouldn't trade lives with that dude in particular because I don't want my life to be all about going to the max all the time. Mm -hmm. I, I have that tendency within me, in fact, and, and I actively step back from that tendency because I have found that it's not good for my life. It's, it doesn't lead me to the life that I want to live, and that's not a judgment on him. He's doing what he wants to do. And that's cool. And he's a cool example. He's a cool he's a cool dude. Stay fucking hard. It's cool. I like you know it's yeah, so. When I want to go lift hard, maybe I pop on a David Goggins video of him just saying, sometimes in life, you got to just stop being a bitch and go run 10 miles as fast as you can. It's like, yeah, man, he's got a good point there. I should just go do what I'm going to do as hard as I can. But I don't want to be that 24 hours a day. But then again, um, the, you know, and the, this group takes a lot of flack from just about everybody. But if you're like a Cheeto munching uh, Call of Duty guy, 
It's not as though there is nothing redeeming in that lifestyle. It's just that there's a bunch of stuff that's obvious even to the people living it. It's like, this is not great for you. It's not great for your physical well-being. It's not great for your balance, but you're really, really good at this. And I guess the point that I'm circling into here is that as much as we want to have somebody help us or we want a guru or we want um, a simple answer to a complex problem, the truth is that they're all, almost all simple answers. And, then, and we really don't have that many complex problems. It's like, is your money right? Is your body right? Are you actively helping your mind? Are you making connections with other people? And are you doing a good job at the things that you do? If you're doing those things, you have no problems that you can't face with confidence. And in the same token, it's like, well, are you hurting yourself? Are you hurting other people? Are you uh, actively trying to sabotage the good things in the world? And we all do some of this stuff from time to time. It's, it's you know... It's, mm-hmm. Being a person is weird, but if you can answer yes to the good things and answer no to the bad things, your life is awesome. And we all have days where everything's clicking and everything. And, and, and it's, it's not to say that stuff doesn't come along. And there's stuff out, you know, you could be in a car accident that didn't have anything to do with you. And that's going to suck. And you're going to have to deal with that. And you're, gonna, and you're not going to deal with it great all the time. But if you are doing the things you need to in the long run, it's going to be, you're going to, you're going to deal with everything that you have. And I guess I wonder, as somebody dealing with people in the mental health field, and especially in situations of trauma, because trauma can really throw us for a loop. Sometimes we're blind to the fact that a cheeseburger is bad and like, um, a smile to the neighbor is good. It's it's hard to see those things because there's something right in front of our face that we can't look past. And I guess, I just, I wonder, I, I, I don't even think I'm going to try to land this. I'm just going to give it to you and see what you say. Okay. Well, uh, there are two things that I want to jump. One before I forget, um, which I think was that... Uh, that piece about trying not to um, do bad stuff. Uh, the one thing that I really like about uh, Buddhism uh, is they don't, they have one of these, their, their tenant isn't do no harm. It's actually avoid doing harm uh, because they recognize this universal component that you might be walking without, you know, looking at your feet and you might step on a beetle. Uh, or, you know, if you, uh, you know, how many, how many dust mites we might, you know, crush when we scratch our, our eyebrows, right? It, it, it's even, even this idea of being a, right? But even this, even this, uh, the, 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 the Buddhist ideal of, uh, of, of being completely nonviolent and, and, um, kind to, to nature is that even if you, that is like your, your number one effort you're probably still going to accidentally do something. So the tenant is avoid harm. If your goal is I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to actively avoid doing harm to others in my environment. Um, that's, that's good living. Um, and I, 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 I love that tenant. Uh, the second thing that I really want to jump on is, uh, this, this, this Goggins, um, cult, 
because I, I love, I love that dude as well. But there's, there's, there's a term use uh, when people, and this, this is, this is people who do very extraordinary things, but with something that is not very common for him, it's that mentality that go, go to the max, go to the max, do, do, do everything hundred, hundred percent all the time. Uh, uh, the term I use for that is adaptive psychopathology uh, because he's doing incredible things with it. Uh, his, his body looks great. His, he gives, he's really good at crafting these terrific motivational messages. He pumps me up. So I don't want to say this is an insult to him, but that kind of lifestyle, as you said, I don't want it. I don't, I don't want what that requires typically what that would require giving up probably not a lot of bacon cheeseburgers and milkshakes but um i want some of it i want if 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 there's a scale of you know between me and david goggins i want to i want to become a little bit more towards that right but if i set out to do that if my goal if i'm saying what i want is i want to be as motivated and as active as goggins that that would burn me out that would burn me out i think i'd lose a lot of my will to my a lot of my enjoyment and passion for for living um and let's say i do it let's say i stick to it five years i'll probably look great i'd probably be very motivated i'd probably have accomplished a lot of stuff but i think i'd be miserable that's not a lifestyle i want to ascribe to and I think this is an insight that I have working with veterans is veterans, uh, you know, even after trauma is this idea of I'm going to lean on what I'm good at, which is I can turn off emotions and go, 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 do, 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 do. We're seeing, um, we're seeing this very unique trend with post-traumatic stress disorder in uh, retirees. We have all these Vietnam era veterans who, re- who are retiring and they have no symptoms of PTSD now they're in their 60s, uh, late 60s, early 70s, and they are suddenly having full-blown PTSD from, from their Vietnam era service. And that's because they went full Goggins. That's, that was their life from getting out of Vietnam until retirement is just horse blinders. Work, 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 do, 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 produce, 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 produce. And then once that's taken away, all the stuff comes back. So, you know, I, what I, what I get, what I guess I'm trying to get at is this idea of, I don't want people to be motivated to be a hundred percent gung ho. Cause that also has consequences. Mm-hmm. Goggins is a, an outlier people. I, I imagine his life is terrific and he has a lot of joy and meaning. I would not get that from that lifestyle. And I don't think others would as well. They want getting a, getting a good amount. I guess maybe that should be the question. How much is the right amount of intensity? Uh, you know, I, would my life improve if I went hundred percent Goggins or 50% Goggins or just 25 Goggins? I'm pretty sure if I added 25% Goggins to my life, I would, I'd be able to conquer the moon and still have room to, to do pretty rad stuff. There, often in these conversations, I, I, I can't help but draw parallels to myself. Um, you know, I think we all do that, but 
there's this, I, I have a very obsessive tendency within me. Uh, and it was even more pronounced as a kid, uh, obsessive compulsive at, at that point, really. I mean, counting steps, counting cracks, light switches, door locks, kids okay. staring at the clock, trying to keep track of time through, through the day. Just lots of counting, lots of keeping track of things. And, and it was obstructive. And then I did a bunch of drugs and for, <laughs> it, it there's a lot of reasons I'm glad I did drugs and don't do drugs now, and that's one of the reasons, is it seemed to have altered me in such a way that the I'm less that way. I'm not all, I'm still very much that way, but what I have learned is this. Mm-hmm. I have a family, and to me and my life, that is prime that is central that's my main commitment and that obsessive part of me i've done a lot of really cool things in my life i've accomplished some cool stuff that most people don't do because of it but at the same time i have since i have had a family gone or or started to veer down that obsessive path but then I, I look and I go, oh, but this is my, this is my center. This is the place I want to be. I'm trying to, I'm trying to build this, not, not like go down a path and see where it leads. It's like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like circle back around. And so what I've learned is that I have to, I have to actively mitigate Goggins, Goggins mode mm-hmm. in my life to be able to sustain and to grow the things that are most important to me. And that's why I said, and why essentially you said, it's like, look, that's cool. And that guy's awesome. But that's not, that doesn't meet the needs of the things that are most important to me in my life. Uh, And it's, it's one thing to Mm -hmm. say, you know, obsession can lead to some really amazing outcomes, but generally obsessed people are not well because a lot of things fall by the wayside when you're sort of unidirectionally focused. And that's not even to say that people shouldn't be. We wouldn't have a lot of the gifts that we have in the world today if it weren't for people going down that path. I just know that for me, I'm not going to be one of them in that way. I will go down sort of a path for a while, but I always have to return to what's most important to me, and that's my family. And... I think that I guess what I'm trying to get at with this and what you were sort of hinting at too is it's important for a person to have that ability to self-reflect and to learn who am I and what is important to me. And that's, that's one of the reasons I always suggest people develop Uh, like a set of principles. Mm -hmm. This is who I am. These are the rules. These are the things that are most important to me. These are the rules that as far as I can tell right now, I'm going to let these particular rules, these handful of rules dictate my life. When I'm not certain, or if I need to measure what I'm doing against something, these are the things. It's like, I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to have a family. I'm going to do my best. These are some of my things. And I turn those into affirmative statements. It's just a little psychological trick that works to help me 
keep them at the front and to have them mean something. But the point is, however you do that, and it's not, it's not like this is a secret or that is some new thing either. I mean, it's like know thyself. But the point is, if you don't, if you don't take the time to look within you and go, who am I and what's important to me? And how can I act in such a way that the things that are important to me will grow or will be, will stay with me? It, it sure explains a lot of the things that you see out there when you mm-hmm. begin to understand that people are so distracted by so many things that they forget to take the time to look inside themselves and go, well, what among all these things do I actually want and, and why? Mm-hmm. And, and, and how do I optimize this world of infinite possibility for myself so that I can be true to myself and so that I can be happy with myself and what I'm doing and, and balance mm-hmm. the needs of the people that I've taken responsibility to have in my life. And, and so if I'm going to turn this back on you, I guess I just wonder, you know, Goggins is Goggins, and the guy, like the suicidal dude on his couch who just has forgotten what matters and can't find any meaning and is just sort of medicating the sadness and the and the and the sort of agony of existence away for whatever reason. It's not a judgment. It's just some people are there, and, and sometimes they go off the cliff. And there's a big difference between somebody who has a life full of meaning and is in alignment and somebody who's in that place. And and I wonder, you know, people listen to this podcast for a lot of reasons. Some people just like me. Some people come here to learn stuff. Some people come here to see the guests that I have on, whatever their reasons. But I, I always want them to, if they took the time to listen to have something that they can take with them that will be useful for them. And we've been talking about sort of these these different contexts and tools and, and perspectives on transformation and and balance and, and sort of the underlying stuff behind those things. And I, I, my question to you right now is just... Where is it in a person's life or what is it in a person's life that if they come to you and they are lost and looking for help to find that thing inside of them? I mean, what are some of the most universal ways that you can help them answer those questions to help them find the thing that they're looking for? Because I'll just say this and, and kind of hand it off. My own sort of stubborn and individualistic nature has caused a lot of problems for me, but it's also enabled me to really learn things because I had to learn them the hard way a lot. And I always try to emphasize whenever I'm teaching somebody or in the book I wrote or whatever, it's like, I don't want to tell you what to do. It's like we were talking about with my kids. I don't, I don't want to tell you what to do. I will because you're my kids, but I don't want to. I want you to decide who you want to be and to go for it, to develop your code. And, and it's the same here. I, I want, you know, it's, I don't want to tell people how to live their lives. And I don't want people to tell me how to live my life or to force me or to, to you know, or to coerce me. 
and I don't want. I, so my my question is just where, how do you guide somebody into the place where they can start to answer those questions for themselves and to see themselves clearly so that they can move into a place where they feel like they're being authentic and they feel like they've found some meaning without sort of um, cheapening it by by just giving them the you know the status quo or the standard narrative or the like a the pat answer because it's it's tough to balance those two things is it like a heart to heart or a platitude or like some some bullshit that you just say to people like how's it going great see you dick how do you how do you guide somebody where they can figure out themselves in a meaningful way and and, and make moves i know that's a, that's a sort of like a you spent your whole life trying to figure that out in a lot of ways. Yeah. But, you know. So how, how do you, how do you, how do you do your job? How do you do your job doc? Um, <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm going to piggyback on kind of what you touched on, which is sort of this idea of values uh, exploration. You say, uh, you say principles. Uh, I, I, I use the word values, uh, but it's kind of the same thing in these contexts is that, um, we need to know what is meaningful to us. And um, to be honest, our life feels a lot more meaningful the more we're aligned with that. And in fact, our, our, our life actually hurts. We, we feel hurt when our life is not aligned with that. Um, and we, we could have maybe another discussion, maybe for another podcast, the, the, the idea of uh, there are some values that are not, ideal i think that uh, i think that i I've, I've had long conversations with a mentor of mine um really over our role to teach morality as as therapists um because you know if 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 we took a completely neutral response and say well, what do we value and it's like well you know what i really just i enjoy i enjoy it when i hurt people like i just love hurting people it makes me feel so good when i'm hurting people and uh, for for us, we can't just say, okay, how do we maximize our time <laughs> engaged in this meaningful activity? Uh, you know, there, you know, we we, we want to. There there are certainly things that I think are are pro social, or at least um, suggested or ideal for a working civilization and society. Um, you used the term. I uh, used honesty, for example, as as a value. I'll, I'll probably work with that example. Um, is that if, if we value or if one of our principles is uh, honesty and uh, we find ourselves lying a lot uh, or, you know, uh, we're, we're in relationship with somebody who's being honest with us, uh, we're going to feel that. That's going to show up in our lives as, as hurt, as pain. Um, so uh, if, if, if we look at that as that our pain and our values are two sides of that same coin, we can look at it in the other direction. If somebody says, you know what? I don't know what my principles are. I don't know what my values are. I ask them, where do you hurt? Where, where is your hurt right now? And they could be, you know, I'm in a dishonest relationship. You know, she cheats on me. Um, she sleeps around. Uh, she spends my money. She berates me. She insults me. She um, gives, she, she calls me names and, uh, that's where my hurt is. And he says, well, you know, we can pull values out of that, not just honesty, you know, fidelity, but also um, 
kindness. You know, you, you your hurt is in, in, in being put down in cruelty. So now we kind of have a, a, a that guiding compass of, of our of our principles, of our values. Like what relationships are we going to start changing? What what are we going to start doing differently to get us back on that? that path that's aligned with our values, which is aligned with our principles. Um, we don't choose them arbitrarily. And probably the reason we are hurting right now is because our actions are not aligned with that roadmap. And kind of going full circle to our, one of our first points is knowing it's half the battle, like having that roadmap and having the compass and knowing, oh, I now I need to go north by northwest. That's the direction that will make me happy. Well, now, you know, that's that's half the battle. That's the insight. The other half is then the deliberate action. I now need to get in my car and drive north by northwest until I get there. And there will be detours and there will be mistakes and my car will break down and I'll have to keep going and I'll have to get back on the road and I'll keep having to go in that direction or find my way back to going in that direction. It's going to be messy and it's going to be uncomfortable and I need to will my, be willing to be uncomfortable on that journey. That second part is trickier. You can't have it without awareness. You can't have it without the insight. Insight is necessary for this messier second bit. Otherwise, it's just telling a 10 year old what to do, brush your teeth, clean your room. There's no meaning behind it. Yeah. It's sort of like a, a blueprint doesn't build a building, but neither does just swing and hammer at your dick. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I like it. Um, it's a little crass, I suppose, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm working with that metaphor because that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, yeah. I, I, I myself fall victim to the, uh, the. Please tell me swing and hammer at your dick. <laughs> well, I mean, who hasn't busted some, anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, it's this, this idea of, uh, we need we need the insight and the action so the blueprint right uh i i fall victim to this i'll i'll I, i'll have something that i need to get done so i'll create this elaborate plan and then i'll, I'll feel good about my plan and then not do it because that had used up all of my anxiety that used up all of that energy and resources that i had that was like making me want to get that task accomplished hmm. um so, right, that's the blueprint, you know, some, for some people that's it. All right, my blueprint, I have the perfect plan. I've created the perfect gym routine, right? I've created my meal plan for the next uh, six months. Great, that blueprint's, that blueprint's not going to do anything. But if you don't have a plan, uh, I, I think I had a mentor that used the term uh, jumping from a raft uh, in the middle of a river, but uh, swinging, swinging a hammer and hitting your dick that's kind of the same thing. Like you need to you need to know what the hell you're doing, right? You can't just wing it. Well, some people can. Um, there's there's some. I think there's a lot of benefit to uh, so a lot of it. Should be you know, wung. What's the past tense of winging it? I, I've got to enjoy the journey too, right? Wang. <laughs> Wang. Yeah, you got to. 
you gotta after you've wanged it. This is this is devolving quickly. <laughs> so it's the infantile humor. We never for for those for for your loyal listeners, adults, uh, men never really grow out of that <laughs> that stage. And, and why would we? It's the best. <laughs> I'm going to turn off the laughter? I don't think so. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I, 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 do, I do like the, uh, I, I, I do like kind of the gears turning here because, uh, you know, this is something that I think is going over in, in uh, Twitter over and over and over again is uh, they don't, they don't recognize that dual nature, that, that sort of, that that dialectic of um, you can do better and you're doing pretty great already that that you're fine. Uh, they they say you need to be do better. You need more. You need to be at a higher percentage of goggins in your life. Do better. Do better. Do better. Do better. Do better. And I don't think that there's a lot of that kind of other shoe which is it transformation is hard change is hard um giving up things that you like that make you feel good because there's something better for you down the road that is hard to measure uh that's hard and uh to to uh, to, to have that i guess second boot of of compassion no, I feel like it could help a lot because I, I I see a lot in the comments where people are just they're they're at the end of their rope and they're they're unhappy and they're miserable and they're being told just be better and do better. Um, you brought up you brought up uh, addiction uh, earlier, so I'll, I'll use that as the example because the pretty the most common model for addiction uh, recovery is abstinence. Um, it's like, okay, well, you have a drinking problem, never drink again. Oh, you have a drug problem, never use drugs again. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's that abstinence is a bad method. I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's a, it's a terrific method. But they kind of create that idea of, uh, you know, don't fuck up because abstinence is a is a yes or no thing. You're either clean or you know, we could also talk about that dichotomy as well because if you fail a drug test it's called a dirty drop so we can have i have another soapbox about the language that we use to describe this but this idea is um say you're say you're in a aa 12 step the most probably the most common abstinence model for for uh, alcohol use you're sober for 20 years and you fall off the wagon you drink again uh that you've lost everything you've lost your 20 years progress you're back at zero you failed there's a lot of i think pressure there's a lot of there's a lot of not around that which can help people from relapsing i'm not saying that it's a bad thing somebody's like nope i've got 20 years if i drink now it'll take me 20 years to beat my record uh 21 years to beat my record um but for those who do fall off the wagon, it can be very, uh, I'm going to use the word traumatic for them uh, because they've maybe made all of this progress or they've, they have that thought of, oh, I guess it's done. I've messed up. Uh, you know, I don't have another 20 years left on my life. There's no way I'm going to beat my record, right? There could be kind of this finality to it. And um, I think a way that a lot of how Twitter motivates people is that sort of same 
for this forced dichotomy. You got to be taking your cold showers, drinking your black coffee. You got to be training every, every morning, every, every day, only eating meat. And, uh, you got to be working 120 hours a week, like whatever, whatever, whatever the, this little template blueprint is. And they're saying, this is it. This is your blueprint for success. Just do this, uh, copy and paste, and you're going to, you're going to live well. And they're not taking into the, into account the fact that not everybody, in fact, very few people can live that meaningfully. So most of us can't sustain that kind of lifestyle. No, most of us can't sustain Goggins lifestyle. Um, but to, to be able to say, uh, this is, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to work towards. And I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fall off the wagon, right? The alternative to that abstinence model is I'm going to make mistakes and I'm just going to learn how to make few of them. I'm going to learn to get back on that wagon quicker. Uh, one of the one of the things I like to say is I don't. It doesn't matter how long you've stayed on the wagon, or that's less important to me. Is how quickly someone gets back on. If uh, if somebody says uh, I've been sober for twenty years, and then I went on a bender, I'd be like, all right, you know, it's, uh, twenty years is good. That's awesome. But if somebody said, you know, I want a bender, I went on a bender for two days, and then I got back on the wagon. I'd say two days. That's incredible. You know, most benders are weeks or maybe it would have been years before you were sober again. But if somebody said, Nope, I realized it. I found myself in my trap and I got right back on to me, that skill, that mechanism. That's, that's incredible. I'd rather, I'd rather you be able to get back into sobriety over a weekend than, um, than, than, go like 20 years before your first relapse. I like it's, it's more of that mentality. I don't know if I'm describing this effectively. It's more that mentality of uh, things will be hard. I will mess up and I'll get back on just to keep people going. I don't know. I think I'm kind of devolved there, but uh, I don't know. I said a lot. How's all that sitting with you? There's, there's a, there's a web to weave here for sure. Um, I think I will start where you left off and work back. What you just described, the, the ability to, it's like the skill of course correction or the, or the, the ability to, you make a mistake and then, and then you, you stop. You don't just. Here's 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 the way that I look at it. There there are some parts of this that are universal, and then there are some parts that are unique to a person. But you know, you can sort of think yourself as standing on top of a ball, and it's it's not. You know, it's hard to stand on top of a ball. Mm -hmm. You might be really good at it, but you might you know maybe you're standing on top of a ball and then someone kicks it. You don't you know. And you're not, you know, no matter how good at that, if, or if somebody deflates your ball, but, but you fall. And when you fall, there's a process that you're going to go through. It's a cycle that's going to end up with you back on the ball. And it's like, okay, I'm falling, I'm doing these things, and then things get really shitty and I'm down here at the bottom. And then there's a set of conditions or choices or whatever that I start to climb. And then eventually I get back up here and I'm good. Uh, and, and it's not always clean, you know, you might like, you might like come to here and it's like, oh man, I started climbing it, but, 
Mm-hmm. The point I'm trying to make with this is that by the time you're an adult, by the let's just let's be more generous. By the time you're 40, let's say, you understand enough about yourself to understand this is how I make my mistakes. These are the main mistakes I make, and this is the cycle that I go through when I make them. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have made those connections, but if someone suggests to you that you draw a picture and say, what is your cycle of mistake? What are the steps you go through? If you're an alcoholic, for example, you know, what are the thoughts and actions that, that you go through when you're going through this? Um, when you recognize those steps, and you go through them intentionally, like let's say you have a drink. Okay, well, um, then what are the thoughts and feelings that you need to have to get you to rock bottom? And then what are the thoughts and feelings and actions you need to do to get you back to climb? And what are the thoughts and feelings and actions you need to do to get you back on top? We can go through that pretty on purpose, and you can do it pretty quickly if you allow yourself to. And if you intend to do that, and then you do that. And it's not to say it's easy, and it's not to say you're going to be an expert at it, but you can expedite the process like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Is it a weekend or is it, is it like three years? Okay. And, and if it was three years, can it be two? Can it right. be one? Can it be six months? Can it be six minutes? Can you, can you, can you sit down in a chair and go, okay, these are the, I'm going to cry. I'm going to be resentful. I'm going to hate myself. I'm going to remember who I am. I'm going to remember what's important. I'm going, you know, you can do that. And it's, it's yeah. a cool tool, but okay. Exercise for a second. I hope people listen to that and they'll think about it. But, and I threw some stuff out there that you could do some stuff and it would help you do that better. But okay. Stepping back now, you were talking about how um, there's, there's a sort of a style of, communication on Twitter that um, is very black and white or sort of polarized and and I think there there are a number of factors there there's sort of just the the reality that polarizing conversation gets a lot of attention and when you're on Twitter it's like well what am I here for am I here yeah, for followers or to you know you know yeah. but then there's also the idea that well we're not exactly in a subtle uh, society right now we're not exactly in a nuanced conversation having a society right now mm-hmm. it's just kind of not <laughs> it's not that's not the milieu we find ourselves uh the milieu. don't get to use that <laughs> word very often in normal especially not like that <laughs> <laughs> but we all there We've all had opportunities in our lives to be a little more subtle or thoughtful or nuanced in the way that we approach something. And when we do that, there's a lot more understanding and wisdom that is imparted to us and and maybe if there's other parties involved to them, if they're receptive to it. And we see that happen and we go, huh, I should be like that all the time. But then the thing happens to piss you off and you just like, you know, I raged out or I, you know, and where I am going with this is that on the one hand, you, you can develop the ability to course correct better, quicker, more effectively. And on the other hand, you're constantly challenged to 
to sort of fall off at the top of that ball. Either you're not good enough or, you know, you're not strong enough or you're not politically aligned correctly or you're not inclusive enough or you're not exclusive enough and there's all these narratives and there's all these distractions and they're pumped out there and we as people only have the capacity to hold so many things in our minds at one time you know maybe if you're a super genius you can have 10 ideas running at the same time but if you're an average joe just going about their life and, and maybe you're clever enough it's you know you got three four five six ideas you could sort of contend with um, and and have them be meaningfully addressed in any given point in your life mm-hmm. and so uh, what one has to ask themselves is what am i letting in and how's that working out for me because there's a lot of stuff out there and 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 and, and why as well because there's some people out there say on social media that i pay attention to but I don't pay attention to them for the reasons that they might want me to. I'm paying attention to them because of my own particular interests or to learn what not to do or to or learn what to do. Something they're doing well and giving their message that I appreciate. And I'm but there's, there's, there's levels. But if you're, yeah, you know, if you're allowing yourself to be a sucker and just and have those ideas thrust into your head and it's like, well, there's my program. Mm-hmm. It's not as though those messages are sort of tailored to be a gift to you to optimize your life. Uh, you know, every, there's there are agendas attached to every narrative, and 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 I I don't necessarily want to dive too deep into that in the context of this conversation. But my point sure. is this: we're all sensitive to a certain degree as people, and. The things we allow into our lives have an effect on us. It's a choice in everything, but once we make the choice, it has a consequence. There's just no, there's no getting around that. And when we face consequences that remove us from the place that we want to be or that we're best served by being in, then you sort of have a couple of choices. You can go through that process we talked about to get back on the wagon, so to speak. Um, or you can continue to go down that road of self-destruction or you can go down a very different road of self-destruction which is man I made that mistake and I I don't really want to admit to it I don't want to face it it's painful to address and and that's sort of a whole other can of worms but I'll bury it and keep making it or keep making mistakes and bury bury it right next to it and so to tie all of this together what I want to communicate is that there are a few things that are pretty universal to the human experience in, in this context that I, I, I just want people to hear and to reflect upon, which is you are impacted by the things you allow into your life. You have a choice of a great many of the things that are in your life. You have the ability to observe yourself and your actions and to reflect upon the reasons that you did those. So you can see sort of a chain from what's coming in and what you're putting out. And Mm -hmm. you have the ability 
to not only course correct, but to iterate what you're doing. You can, it's not just a cycle of like failure and getting back on the horse. It's also a cycle of success that looks very similar to that cycle of, uh, of sort of course correction. It's like course, course, uh, course improvement. Mm -hmm. And, and, and if, if we're careful and thoughtful and observant, we can see a, a pretty direct line between what we're taking in, how we respond to it, whether intentionally or not, and then the outcome, and then how we react or adjust to that outcome. And, and if you can be attentive to that process, you can get really good at life and anything, anything about it within your sort of, you know, we all have our capabilities and our limits yeah. and everything, but if you actual, pay attention to that process. Actual living, actual, actual living, because I, I think where we get can kind of stuck is we either feel like we don't have any options or we want options that aren't on the table at that moment. And then we're not, um, we're not adjusting to those circumstances. We're actually defying circumstances or, or rejecting living in those situations. Uh, I like, I kind of like how you painted that because one is awareness, right? The first step is always awareness. And the second one, which is those deliberate actions that does go down to choices and what choices are available to you. And the skill is to always being able to go back to that table and look at what choices are available what choices what choices do i have in this in this moment uh, like you know what what's what's in my control and what's not in my control what is that the the serenity prayer right the uh the the, you know, the things grant that me I, patience to uh, uh let's see uh grant me patience to accept the things i cannot change and to um man it's been a while since i've been to a meeting <laughs> yeah it's all right uh, it's uh, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. I, right. I, I consulted with uh, Professor Google. Um, but it, it kind of breaks, breaks down that that component is that uh, I, I, this is what I want to happen. Is that an option? If it's not, you know, I'm not even going to look at it. What are my options? And then let me choose. And be willing to have the consequences. As you said, there's going to be consequences to everything. But if it's a choice, if it's a choice in that moment, right, um, it's kind of like a fork in the road moment. Uh, maybe maybe you want both things or both things are bad. You have to choose of those things. What do I want more? Or which one is slightly worse than the other? And I'm going to, this is my choice and I'm going to roll with it. It's not going to be ideal. There might be some shitty things with it, but I'm choosing this. So when the consequences happen, we're more willing to have them because we chose it. We can deal with all the other bits of it, but we're choosing. We're choosing an option. And we're, that's what we're always doing. We're always choosing. We're, we're choosing whether we're going to be on that couch eating Cheetos and, and watching movies all day. We're choosing to exercise or eat better each every time it's a choice. But, um, you know, we have to be aware of what choices are available. You know, there are less choices for gyms because there's a global pandemic, right? There's uh, choices for uh, what food's available or what, uh, depending on how much money we have in our bank account, right? Some choices, some options just aren't on the table, but that doesn't mean we don't have any options. It doesn't mean we don't have any choices. 
Yeah, I'm saying that the skill is to be aware of what options are available and to continually make choices. Choose choose the options, but not willy nilly. Not and not to uh, to not to be willfully blind to the feedback. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's that's a that's one of those things that that last part there. I th- I think that might be the sort of uh, the most commonly missed point because feedback can suck, <laughs> and to have an honest look and acceptance of that feedback, that that uh, yeah, I often tell people when it comes to that kind of thing, you can you can go down a road for twenty years and then look back. And, and go, fuck, I did all that and now I got to own 20 years worth of being a fool. Or mm-hmm. it can be one instance. Hopefully, it's not going to be 20 years, but it's probably not going to be one instance either. It's going to be somewhere in between right. there. But the sooner you turn around and go, okay, this is my responsibility. Even the stuff that came at you that you can't control, you're responsible for how you deal with it. And... You can spend your whole life blaming everything on everybody else, and that's going to cause you to have zero points of development in a positive direction. The blame game never results in you being better. It might result in the person that you resent being worse off, but it's not going to leave you any better off. Blame is actually has nothing to do with um, exploration or uh, accountability. It's only about discharge of pain. Blame, blame is not helpful. Blame for yourself or others. It's, it's accountability and exploration, very helpful. Blame, that's just about feeling better. Yeah, and the thing about it is it's so often expressed as malice that uh, mm-hmm. then you open that's up the a little kind of worms. And, and once you become right. a malicious person, boy, it's really hard to accept that about yourself and to repair that thing. It's rough. It's rough. Yeah. And you can, you can, look, I'm not going to get too much into it, but you can see, you can see it out there right now and, you know, make your choice. Huh? And, and, and I guess that's kind of a dire thing to think about when you consider how much of that kind of mentality is out there in the world right now. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people want to paint it as one side or the other, but the truth is that there's a lot of malice on every sort of side right now. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that... And and truth be told, the more I have thought about it and talked to people who have some reason to have a informed opinion on these things, I'm less convinced that on a broad scale there's really anything to be done about that right now. Except for the thing that's sort of always the answer to this, which is, well, what are you doing as a person to not be like that? You can, you can, there's, no matter the circumstance or how thing, dark things get, there's always an example. You can always find an example of somebody in the, the, the darkest, most violent, most malicious, most hostile environment who said, I'm not going to be like that. And sometimes it costs them their life. But people never forget those kinds of people. Sometimes no. they change the world. Sometimes the ripple in the pond is so big it turns into a tsunami and it floods over the world because one person chose not to be that way. 
and we're you know we're we're maybe a hundred minutes deep in this conversation at this point and I like to tell people I'm not Joe Rogan I'm not going to keep them for three hours and we have covered a lot of territory here there's a lot of things for folks to think about we started with childhood and moved on into some stuff and here here I am sort of taking it into this uh, less than than cheery perspective and and I don't want to have the conversation be bookended by that and so what I would like to do is I want to give you the opportunity here and I want to to start winding it down here but what I what I would like from you is a message to the audience and to me from you that says the world is sort of going in the direction that it's going but you can go in another direction and here's how I suggest you do that uh, tell you what um, can we pause this for like two minutes so that I could use the restroom and then I'll I'll I'll, I'll help bookend that no because that energy that you have the, the furious P oh, energy it's gonna is going to come out all, all <laughs> yeah. of my creativity <laughs> brilliant is going to just go right out uh, I'll pause it man you can go just you got it <laughs> I, I appreciate it I've been holding that in for a minute <laughs> and we're back <laughs> <laughs> And see, uh, so let's see the question you asked, uh, well, you, you were kind of going into a, a, a lot of sort of the us, us versus them, uh, mentality that's, uh, pretty, pretty broadly broad broadcast, uh, has been for a while now. And we're kind of seeing that us and them mentality getting worse and worse and worse. And um, I guess the message that I want to give is kind of framed in that uh, is that we do uh, live in a society and uh, a lot of our, we talk a lot about self-help and uh, improving ourselves, but you know, we're, we're improving ourselves to be in the community. Uh, we're improving ourselves uh, so that we are improving um, where we live and uh, you're a parent, right? You know, you're, you're undertaking a very challenging uh, mission of uh, improving the world through the works of your children. And, and you're sort of the custodian of that. Yes. So uh, yes, the world's going to keep on moving. Yes. A lot of it's going to suck. Uh, and I think kind of, going back into this idea, uh, I, I want to say of like, you know, judo, not karate, you know, roll with the world, you know, take, take the lumps when they come, uh, adjust to it. Don't, don't, don't just fight yourself down to stumps like that. Uh, was the, the black knight and the Monty Python, <laughs> like, don't come on, you pansy. <laughs> <laughs> it's only a flesh wound. You know, you, you, life has a way of kicking the platform out from under your feet, so to speak. Uh, and, you know, 
we're we're going to have to adjust or, or 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 do you know course changes, course corrections, and you know that's that's part of living, but it's also part of living in a in a society. So uh, you don't have to agree with any particular person or any particular group. Uh, you don't have to uh, like stick stick to one uh, little tribe, so to speak. But uh, recognize that how how better you are or, or or how worse off you are. You know that's also your that's also your community. Uh, I've we've talked even about dressing dressing better a lot on uh, on Twitter, you know, dressing like a gentleman and such like that. Uh, that makes the community, you know, being being physically fit, wearing nice clothes, presenting yourself uh, in a particular way, you know, that represents more than just you. It represents, you know, here it could represent your, your town, it could represent your state, it could represent your country. Um, Shout out to Tanner Gezi. <laughs> right? But this idea that, that, that you know, transformation, it's, it's a big thing, but it's also for making the world better. Not just you, not just your tribe, not just everybody. This, this us versus them, it is very uh, manufactured. Uh, and, it's, and, and it could be applied from anything from, you know, religion to politics to race to gender to whatever, you know, pick your, pick your, pick your us versus them battle. But you know, we we all live here together, and I think that's that's the big challenge: is how do I make the world as better a place as I can for myself, while also recognizing I'm not the only one who lives here. Uh, I don't know. I I've, I I subscribe to um, you can you can hate the argument but love the person, and in most cases. I won't say all, and I won't say every single case. In most cases, you can love the person and, and hate the argument or hate the hate the hate the the, the platform, because uh, usually what's underneath it is you know wanting freedom or security, or wanting more freedom or wanting more security. And there are ways of either feeling more free or feeling more secure. And gosh darn it, we fall on that. We we have we, we wrestle with that ourselves. So I don't know. I I say. Uh, We talked a lot about things being simple, uh, but I'd like to reiterate that they ain't easy and that a lot of these things are uh, motivation. You know, it's, it, that's the, the billion dollar question. We have a lot to figure out. We have a lot to sort of understand when motivating ourselves and motivating uh, others. Um, but I, I also want to put in that morality piece, man. Um, I, it would be better if we also talked more about uh, what would be these right actions or good actions or, or kind, compassionate actions and, uh, you know, add that in with our self-development, with our own transformation, not just for us, but for this world we share with everybody else. Hmm. Well, I think we could certainly do that on the third Ed and Chance episode. Mm -hmm. And I think the things that you just said are important. You know, it's just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. And if, if I were to add anything to what you said, I, I would just say this. The, the solution to the problems of us versus them 
is almost always found in putting in the effort to make sure that things are good between me and you. If you're good with me and I'm good with you, if I'm good with my neighbors, I'm good with my family, I'm good with the people I work with, I'm good with my friends, then the places where I have the greatest opportunity to impact the the level of discourse and the and the balance of energy and the my impact on in the world, my my real actual sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. If if I'm good with you and you're good with me, things are good right here. And I'll I'll say this too. I had Jack Pasovic on the podcast yesterday. He's a little different class than you and I when it comes to influence. But he's a good dude. Uh, you know, I've I've had the I've had the good fortune to talk to that guy a couple times and yesterday the first time I talked to him I talked to him about narrative and yesterday I just talked to him from the heart and and sort of asked him to kind of get into his heart and he was gung ho about it. I mean he was game and I asked him look man you know you've got all this influence and it's this political thing and I know that's important to you or you would have never found yourself in that world but that I can't imagine you're the kind of guy who's going to stay in that place forever what is it what are you going to, you know, who, who's Jack Pasova going to be down the road? And he said, I've been thinking about that a lot. And he said, I've gotten to the point where I realize that I have to, I have this responsibility with this influence and I need to do a better job of putting my influence where my heart is essentially. And for most of us, those two things are in the same place. It's in the people that we love. We don't. Most of us don't have a million people following us on Twitter and contact with the president and generals and and you know news media and and the whole world kind of sort of paying attention to what we're doing. Mostly, most of us have the people who are around us all the time paying attention to us, and that's where our heart is. That's where our influence is, and. If you can put your best effort and your best foot forward in your interactions with the people that you love, your world and their world is going to be all right. And if it's like the old Jewish proverb, if every man swept his own porch, there'd be no dirty streets. And we can try to influence the world as much as we want, but the truth is that if we're not putting our love and our attention and our effort into things that are surrounding us and the people that are surrounding us, we're not doing our job. And I guess I kind of just, that's what I wanted to leave them with from my end. So look, Dr. Ed Perrin, I feel like this was a really good conversation and we got into some really interesting things and, you know, we kind of opened up some avenues that maybe you or I would have liked to have dived into a little deeper, but uh, like I said, we can, we can, we can do that another time. So yeah, for part three. Yeah. In the meantime, why don't you, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you, uh, social media, that kind of thing. And, and let's, let's wrap this puppy up.
Sure. Uh, so right now, uh, people can find me on uh, Twitter. My handle is uh, Odysseus. That is the uh, clever Odysseus from the Odyssey, but with an E. So my name is Ed. Uh, E-D-Y-S-S-E-U-S. Uh, I like to talk about my passions, which is transformation, change, uh, and morality. So if that's anything, uh, if that's up anyone's alley, give me a follow on, uh, on Twitter. Thanks. It's been my and pleasure. I suggest it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much, man, for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, it's good to, you know, these conversations are a lot different than sort of tweeting back at each other and having a, having a gif of, uh, an emergency hug or something. So I, well, it's, it's good to, it's good to catch up with you and I appreciate you coming on and sharing your mind and your wisdom and a little bit of your heart with us. And, um, uh, if you're good, I think I'm good. All right. I'm good. Thanks again, man. Yes, sir. Well, in that case, this has been the Logos and Trivical podcast. I've been Chance Lunsford. He's been Dr. Ed Perrin. This has all been Allegedly, and we're out.